With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of true mastery. He saved it! Spurs have won it! Tony Parks is the hero! Hello and welcome to Last Word on Spurs special. You can follow us across a range of different social media platforms. We are on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. You can also find us on Facebook and also not forgetting Instagram. Guys, as you should also be aware by now, you can follow the show across a variety of different platforms and they include Audio Boom, iTunes and Acar. So hopefully you should be able to hear us on one of those platforms. On this last word on Spurs special, I am pleased to say first I am welcoming back Jason McGovern. Jace, how are you? Oh, good, mate. Good to be back in Thailand and uh, waking up at three o'clock in the morning for this. The dedication. <laughs> he cannot be faulted, the dedication. And also, a very special guest joins us tonight. I'm delighted to say we are joined by the Deputy Head of Sport at the Sun and the author of the brand new book, White Hart Lane, The Glory Is, Martin Lipton joins us. Martin, how are you? I'm extremely well and looking forward to the next hour, so it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, do you know what's funny, Martin? I have to stick with you for a second. We always kind of reminisce about White Hart Lane this season, obviously, and trying to adapt to Wembley. So it's nice to talk about an hour of White Hart Lane. Have you missed the play so far? I have, actually. I mean, it's strange. I I remember when I walked away after the last game and I thought, crikey, I'm never going to come here again. Yes, I'm going to come to the same sort of place, but it won't ever be the same. And, you know, I've had... 45 years plus of of going to that to that place on a pretty regular basis and a, and a bit of me disappeared that day and whilst it's been great to see how the Spurs have eventually come to terms with Wembley I went, I went on Sunday to the game and, and it did seem strange again going to a Tottenham game that a home game that wasn't where it's supposed to be and I know it's one year it's temporary and all of that 
but it, it did seem really odd. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't quite get my head around it. Mind you, given the atmosphere, I don't think many of the 65,000 inside could get their head around it either. That's a fair point. Jace, we've spoken about the last three to four months about adapting to Wembley. It's nice to talk about an hour of White Hart Lane, isn't it? We have missed the old place. We have, but, um, you know, I suppose unlike Martin, I, I feel it's my uh, Trigger's Broom Stadium <laughs> because it's, you know, it's had four new stands and 16 new pitches since since I first went there type of thing. And, you know, I think from, I mean, my memories of it, are, of growing up on the shelf and, and things like that, and watching the players come out in the, in the corner of the, of what was the old West stand, you know, so much of that has gone. And it, you know, when I, when we, when I was there for the last game last year and I looked around, I thought, right, this will be the last time I'm inside it. You know, it, it has no, no recognition of, of what I first went to at White Hart Lane. So for me, I'm not as, not as, emotionally attached to it and I and I kind of think we're going back to to White Hart Lane we'll still get off at the same station we'll still drink at the same pubs and so it hasn't been as emotional for me as I thought it would have been well you say Jason you know it's it's now we're getting closer and closer fingers crossed it's something to look forward to so much where you just think you know what for the next six seven months we can bear it because we know there's a great new stadium coming along I think anyone that kind of walks along um you know, White Hart Lane now, they see the progress being made. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it's on time. Martin, I want to bring it back right to the very start with you. When we have guests on like yourself, we want to try and find out what was it that attracted you to Tottenham. Now, from what I know, looking at, into some of your research, is your father supported Spurs. Is that, I presume, where the link came from? Oh, yeah, absolutely, from, from my father. My father grew up in, uh, in sort of Islington area, sort of Hackney, Islington on the borders, um, from a... Uh, third-generation Jewish emigre uh, background um, to, to the UK. His family came over the late 19th century. It was his club. He still, you know, most of my life, it, uh, childhood, certainly was him mocking me about about the fact that he'd seen the double team when he was 15 in, in 60-61. Um, but he started taking me from the age of six. And my first game, as I say in the book, is uh, was 1972, home game against uh, Stoke which we won 4-3. And from that moment, you know, I was, I was captivated totally. And it was, it was part of my life, absolutely and totally. And obviously, I've been very fortunate in my job as, as taking me around the world watching football. And I've been very, very lucky in that regard. But the thing that always mattered most is what the Spurs score was. Even when I was at Old Trafford or the, the Highbury or the Emirates or wherever, wherever I was, and to be fair, because... I was lucky enough to do quite well in my, in my career. I was at the bigger games and for a while, quite a long while actually, Spurs were never the bigger game. Um, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was having to keep in touch remotely. Still mattered just as much. I bet, I bet. Martin, I'm going I'm to bring it to the first game you saw very shortly, but tell me, um, there's a lot of books out there about the history of Spurs, as you probably rightly know when looking to get this book together. What makes your book different to what is out there already in terms of White Hart Lane, the history of Tottenham? Well, I mean, for me, it was important that the, the golden thread was my father taking me and me then, 40-odd years later, more than that, actually, taking my boy, who was six at the time, to, to his first game. And, and God bless, I've written this book for, hopefully for Spurs fans, but initially, primarily for three people, which was my dad, my father and my son, because I, I wanted my, my, my boy to realise the inheritance that he had and that there's all these years of fans going and it means as much. And for me, the, the ground and the club, yes, it's about the players and it's about the managers and it's about 
the achievements on the pitch, but it's just as much for those who committed themselves to the club, the people who worked there, the people who supported the club, the people who, 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 who lived and breathed Tottenham Hotspur over, over that period. And I wanted to tell a story of, of full of personal reminiscences. I didn't want it to be a, a straight chronology, chronology, a straight history. It has to have some of that for context. But I wanted it to be more than that. I wanted it to be about, about the personal, about my relationship with, with the club, with the ground. Because uh, I think that in, in me, a lot of supporters will have the same feeling, really. Mm. They were there for, for great matches and great days, but they were also there for the absolute rubbish that we were <laughs> served up for uh, plenty of time over that. And they still kept on coming, believing that next time it might be better. If, if you only wanted to watch a team that wins... You'd only support one or two clubs. Very true. Very true. It's not about that. It's a, mm. actually most for, for most football fans of most clubs, it's the disappointment that binds you together more than the glory, because the glory doesn't come very often, and therefore you revel in that even more. The Spurs fans who are going to watch this team, most of those saw the rubbish. They saw Paolo Tramazzani playing at left-back. <laughs> Stuart Nethercott. Um, they, you know, Stuart <laughs> Nethercott, Rule Fox, Kevin Scott, all these sort of players. You know, when Jason Dizel looked like a big signing, um, we watched some absolute garbage and we still kept going because we believed that one day it would turn around. And guess what? It did. And it is, and isn't it? it? And it is. And it is. And these are, mm. and my, my, for my boy who's just turned eight, I tried to explain to him, it's not always this good. It's important you say that to him. Keep him grounded. Keep him grounded. Because I hate to say it, Martin, as a Spurs fan, I mean, I grew up in the 90s. I'm going to bring Jason in a second. But, I mean, like you've just said there, I mean, I can so relate it to it because... In the 90s, I've got to be honest with you, there wasn't much to shout about. Going to school, I'm going to say, it was an absolute nightmare for me. Arsenal were absolutely romping the league. And Spurs, I mean, for us to be in the top 10 of a weekend would feel like some kind of achievement. Um, so I can totally relate to where you're coming from. Jace, bringing it into you, just very quickly on this. I think fans have to remember that what we're seeing now, it is so, so special, isn't it? Because it hasn't always been like this, like Martin's just said. It definitely hasn't. I mean, um, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on it in a minute. But I mean, I've seen us in Division Two at, at home to Mansfield Town, and delighted when John Duncan got an equaliser for us to to get us a one-one, and the the game at Mansfield that finishing a three-three, and things like that. So, but I mean, the good thing is, as as good as the the current side is, and as good as the position we're in, I honestly believe it's going to get even better than than what we're seeing now, and and you're. I honestly think that that league title, it may not come this year, but we're so close to it now that, that I, I, I really believe it will come our way. Fingers crossed. I promise you guys, we are going to bring it to the present day as well in, in this show. It's going to be, hopefully, an hour of really reflecting back on White Hart Lane and what it means to the guys. Um, it's going to be a very, very fun hour. Martin, let's take let's talk about your first game then. You mentioned it. Um, White Hart Lane, October 1972, against Stoke City. Um, the lineup that day was Jennings, Kinnear, Knowles, Bill, England, Perryman, Pratt, Peters, Coates, Chivers, Gilzean. Looking at that 11, Martin, how many of those players do you think would get into the current side today? I know that's a, that's a real big question. This is absolute heresy. <laughs> not very many, actually. Really? Not very many. 
because yeah, ha- I think Harry Harry Kane is a better version of Martin Chivers. You don't play with two up, so where does you know, Ali mm. becomes Gilzine, you know, and he's better. Just uh, look, Cyril Nose was a fantastic left back. I mean, I remember, and I think for about twenty five years, every Tottenham left back was judged by the standards that Cyril Nose set, and they all got dogs abuse. I remember I spoke to. Um, uh, John Gorman as part of the book, and I've known John for a long time, and he he said, you know, it was it was really tough because I had to deal with being not Cyril Knowles, and there were plenty of others who had that same thing. But if you look at that, I mean, Mike Ingram was a great centre half of his time, but is he was it? And Phil Beal was a great servant of the club, but were they really better than Alderweireld and and Vertonghen? I don't think so. Pat Jennings was a master masterful goalkeeper, uh, but in a different era. I think you'd probably have a coin toss between him and Lloris because obviously Pat would have been different mm. if he was keeping now. His basic attributes were there. John Fratt, who scored, I think, two goals that day from, from memory, journeyman, worked his backside off. Is he really better than Eric Dyer or Moussa Dembele or Harry Winks? Probably not. You know, if you go through the team, mm. and they were good players, really good players of their time, were they really better than than these current players. I think you can go back to the team before that, to the, the first Nicholson team, and look at what those players did and say they were better. Some of them would have been better. Je- you know, Dave McKay in the era, Jimmy Greaves, the greatest strike in the history of the club. But that 70s team, whilst they were quite successful, and I remember, you know, they won the League Cup twice, they won the UEFA Cup, got to a UEFA Cup final, came third in the year in, in the league in 71. You know, really good team. But it's awful. I said it's heretical to say it, I'm not so sure too many of them would get in this team, which says something about this quality. This They'd have got in any team for 20 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, without a problem at all. All of them would have got in 10 years ago, but maybe not, na- maybe not now. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, it is crazy. Just very quickly, Martin, what was your f- memories from that opening day? Was that where you fell in love with the team watching uh, that day? The memories are really hazy. All I, all I remember, as, as I say in the book, was it was sunny. I know it was sunny. <laughs> And I know I was on the shelf, and I know they won 4-3, and I know I went with my dad, and I've got to be honest, the pitch, <laughs> the pitch was green. That, it's all, and, and, I've, and I've actually now seen them, some um, YouTube clips from the game, and I've seen the goals. I can't remember any of it, but I just know it was that game. I remember the excitement, and it was like, I've got to come again, I've got to come again. Dad, can we go next week? Can we go next week? And I think any kid feels that way. Yes, yeah, true. Um, and I think it's quite interesting because as it happens, just as a fluke, the first game I took my boy to um, was also Stoke at home. And we were awful. It was a week after Harry Kane had scored the, uh, the goal against Villa. Okay. Oh, God, I remember this. And yeah. we, got, we got beat 2-1 at home. At half, we're two down at half-time. Yeah. First half was probably the worst 45 minutes I've ever seen from a Tottenham team. They were... It was, Absolutely I remember this game. Desperate. It was awful, wasn't it? it was, Shocking. Yeah. Got, mm. And it was really bad. And I said to him afterwards, basically saying sorry to him. He said, <laughs> go on, what do you think? And he said to me, can we come next week? And I thought, you, A, you poor kid. <laughs> you, you've got it. But, oh, how great is it that you've got it? You've got that bug. And it, it was something that, you know, has carried me through over four decades. And I just hope and pray that, that he can have, you know, in 45 years... He's just as excited going to games as I am still. 
Yeah, well, John, it's funny. I mean, growing up now, the last couple of years, he must be in his element watching this Spurs team. I mean, it, it's great to see how we've evolved. I mean, Jace, let's bring it over to you. Your first game, Jace, was February 76. So how many of that side we mentioned you first saw would you put into the current Spurs team out of interest? Well, I think, as Martin says, on a slightly different day, but Pat Jennings would would probably get in front of Hugo. And goalkeeping would obviously be different then. But, I mean, Pat in those days was was lauded as the as the best goalkeeper in the world. So I'm not so sure Hugo would, would get in, in front of Pat. And I think the other player that, that would do for me, even into this side, if somebody's good enough to play 866 games for Spurs, surely he's good enough to be in any side. Oh, so he was wonderful as well. What a great yeah. servant Steve was, absolutely. And I think if you look at Stevie Perryman, he'd probably take the, the Eric Dyer role. I mean, Stevie could play in midfield. He played at right back. He played at... At centre half, I mean, it's, it's about what five foot eight, Stevie Perryman, yet can still play at certain games at centre half. And what a what a fantastic leader he was on the pitch, and um, he really set the tone. Keith Burkish always speaks so so well of Stevie Perryman, so I think he'd certainly be one. But you know that that side for me in '76 was only a year away from being relegated, so <laughs> there weren't too many too many glory players in that side, that's for sure. No. Um, let's speak around you, Martin. So your book starts covering the very formation of the club when the Cockrell first started to crow, how we moved from Northumberland Park into White Hart Lane, the first two FA Cups, and it takes us up to the start of the real glory era, a great historical reference for those new to the club. And of course, it also explains the real reason behind the rivalry, Woolwich, as we like to call them. Tell us about that, Martin. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a chap called Henry Norris who was the uh, chairman of Arsenal. Uh, and basically, he was a bit of a crook. And um, at the end of uh, the war, at the beginning of the First World War, uh, Spurs and Arsenal were both finished in the bottom three. And there had been a decision taken after the war to extend the, um, the number of clubs in the first division. And so there was a vote of the clubs. And it was expected that the team that had finished higher, i.e. Tottenham, would stay. Uh, Arsenal had just come in, for, moved from Woolwich to Highbury in, in 1913, 1914, that, that period. So they'd been only settled in the area into North London for a, a year or so before the war. And the chairman of the Football League was a close mate of Sir Henry Norris. And guess what happened? There was a vote of the clubs and the chairman, as is often the case behind, the, behind closed doors, <laughs> pulled rank. And so... Tottenham didn't go up, Spurs were relegated, Arsenal had finished below them, stayed in this expanded first division, and for one year, Tottenham were, were down a division and Arsenal were in the top flight. And of course, Arsenal have never been relegated since then, although they shouldn't have been in the league in the first place, but there no, you go. No, true. Crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. Jase, coming over to you, you've always said that whilst Bill Nicholson is rightly lauded in our history, one man who doesn't receive anywhere near the same level of respect is Arthur Rowe. I know you enjoy reading the chapter on Martin's book, covering that push and run era. Is there anything you want to mention on that at all? Yeah, I think, you know, so many people talk so affectionately about Bill and, and give the respect that the man's due. And, and I've never had a problem with that. And he's, he's quite rightly lauded in our history. But uh, and, and I think anyone that's done the stadium tour would have seen the bust of Bill in the um, in the directors' boxes there, and and he's rightly lauded, as I say, and no one has done more for the club in that respect. But Arthur Rowe doesn't get anywhere near the credit, and I think you know he should have a bust at the stadium as well with a new one because you know Arthur Rowe was that that took us back up to by winning the league division two. 
the very next season, he won the, the First Division Championship and we finished runners-up the, the following season. And, and it was Arthur Rowe that developed the, the famous push-and-run football that we were known for and that so many people have heard about. He, he was the one that brought in legendary Spurs figures like Alf Ramsey and Tommy Harmer. And it was him that signed plenty of that double side that, again, whose names we know, it was, it was Arthur Rowe that brought Danny Blanchard out of the club. He brought Tony Markey. Terry Dyson, Ron Henry to the club and, and all those people played key roles in the double. So whilst Bill finished the what I call the great building of Tottenham, it was definitely Arthur Rowe that laid the foundations and the first floor. And as I say, you know, everyone knows about Bill Nicholson, but the modern generation of supporter knows very little about Arthur Rowe and, and it's it's definitely worth looking up that chapter in the book and reading through it to to realise just what Arthur Rowe did for the club. Was it your intention, Martin, to, to put that in the book, just to kind of give the significance of Arthur Rowe yeah. playing Tottenham? I, I, I think the, the chapter on Arthur Rowe does end with a, a plea to the club to do something more to mark him at the new stadium, because I think it's overlooked. And there was an Arthur Rowe uh, suite, which actually was where the original Cockrell, when it was taken down in the late 80s, ended up being placed. But I just feel that he is sort of lost a little bit, and Bill is, is rightly... Um, deified for his feats as uh, as manager, and, and you know, no one would ever take them away. But without Arthur Rowe, there wouldn't have been a Bill Nicholson. And to be fair, without Peter McWilliam, there probably wouldn't have been an Arthur Rowe, in that there was this line of managers who were incredibly progressive, starting with, with McWilliam, and, and then Arthur, who played for him, and then went in and took over himself, changing the, 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 the club and making it a modern football club. And if you read um, accounts of, uh, of Arthur Rowe's um, training sessions, looking back at them now and the description of the way they play, you think, this is Barcelona. This is Guardiola's Barcelona. 50, 60, 70 years before Guardiola was lauded for playing that sort of football. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it is fascinating now. Everyone talks about Guardiola being the, the modern thinking coach. And like I say, you throw that in there as Arthur Rowe. I mean, I wasn't alive to see him, but judging by from what I've seen on old videotapes of black and white, the, the way we moved the ball was incredible. It really was. It's well, I mean, yeah. just, just on Arthur Rowe, you know, he was the one that gave Bill so many of his ideas that, that Bill took into his management. And, um, you know, he was also, as I say, it was him that brought Alf Ramsey to the club. And we all know... Alf Ramsey's the only Englishman to have won the World Cup as well. So the influence on both Bill Nicholson and, and Alf Ramsey that Arthur put on is huge, really is. Yeah, no, no, so I think rightly it's great to see Martin give that a mention in the book. Martin, I have to ask you a question. I mean, there's been no period in our history when you look back in terms of what we've had in the glory years, Bill Nicholson, the manager, the, the double, the first European trophy during those early 1960s. Are you surprised, Martin, by our, our lack of success since that period as a football club? I think the biggest problem for Spurs was that the... And then, look, there was a good team in the 70s, uh, which built Bill's second team. Keith Birkenshaw's team was an excellent side and could easily have won more. David Pleat's team played as good a football as any Spurs team has ever played. That 86-7 team was a joy to watch, and I was lucky enough to be... At the first game, they played the 4-5-1, standing on the away uh, South Terrace at, uh, at Oxford when they did 1-4-2. Um, and that was an incredible team to watch. But the, the, the formation of the Premier League came at just the wrong time for Tottenham. Uh, money became God and Spurs didn't have the money. And they were you know, under 
Alan Sugar wanted to run it as a business rather than as a football club, and, and he, did, he ran it as a successful business in that regard. Mm. But he, he wasn't able to to bring business success to the, on the football pitch, and it was it was a problem. And there were years when we were being left behind. We couldn't afford to pay the wages. We couldn't um, come close to competing. We were a very very ordinary side. And whatever the stick, and there's been plenty of it that. Um, <laughs> that has been thrown at Daniel Levy over his period in charge. When Daniel Levy took over, finishing the top 10 was an aspiration. Yeah. Now, finishing out of the top four would be seen as an utter disappointment, mm. even though they're only operating on, on the sixth highest budget. Whatever you think about Daniel, you cannot argue that he is more than delivered on anything, mm. everything he, he, asked, he said he would do. In fact, he's actually more than surpassed what you could have expected given what he'd taken over. What you what he bequeaths when and if he sells is one of the biggest football clubs in the world with this fantastic new stadium. And it's a setting fit for a team that can win trophies. Yeah. Now, we are back to what we were. If you look at the people who played for Bill Nicholson, they all talk about everyone wanted to play for Spurs because it was A, they paid the money, but B, they were a great team who could win things. Now... Everyone wants to play for Spurs because of what the club's about. And that's happened in the last 10 years. Yes, huge amount of it goes down to Pochettino, but just as much as having the owner and the chairman who've been willing to, to make it happen. And so when last summer Eric Dyer and Danny Rose both wanted to leave, and they did, no. That's we're right. letting one player mm. go. Mm. We're, letting, we're letting Carl Walker go because we decided... We want to let him go. Nobody else leaves. And so this summer, even if players want to go, unless Maurizio and Daniel want one of them to go, and it will be just one of the starting players, if any, they will not go. End of. It's fantastic to hear. I think, like, you know, Martin, we've seen it recently, haven't we, in terms of the quotes from both... You know, Daniel and Maurizio, I think both of them want to have that long-lasting relationship. And I've got to be honest, I'm always been, I say, I've always been one to defend Daniel Levy. What I always say about him, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, is that I always do believe that whatever he's done at Tottenham, is I think every decision he's taken, he's tried to make it in the best interest in the football club. Now, some may argue that it's, you know, it might not have been the right decision, but I do firmly believe that. I mean, bringing you in, Jace, we don't ever have a chance to talk about Daniel Levy and the progression of Spurs under his tenure. What's your thoughts on that very quickly there? Martin obviously points out the growth under him. What's your thoughts on that? Well, the only time in my life since I've started to go to Tottenham that I, you could say I fell out of love with the club and got a, I wouldn't say quite fell out of love with it, but was just a depression state was that that 90s, and when I look back on the, the time of Alan Sugar, you know, I, I just hate I hate Alan Sugar ever since. I hate what he tried to turn the club into. Suddenly we were targeting people like Rule Fox to come to the club and so many signings then. And I think Martin, you know, the Kevin Scotts and people like that. It was it was such a poor era for us, wasn't it? And he was a guy that, that got rid of Terry Venables for being a crook, but then went and employed the only one that had been found guilty in football of being a crook, the only one that had an Arsenal crest on his patio and, and things like that. And, um, you know, we, we all know Alan Sugar got into it to sell his, his square dishes through the B-Sky B deal. And just the whole way the club was run then, it was real mediocrity. And so, you know, Daniel Levy may have done a, a lot of things wrong in his time at Tottenham, but 
my word, he was a far better chairman, or he is a far better chairman for us than, than Alan Sugar ever is. And, and, you know, I still hear Alan Sugar slating players now, and he puts on his Twitter feed constantly criticising so many things to do with Tottenham. And I think, you know, yours is the year I, I hated Mr Sugar. You know, Irving Scholar went, went a little bit crazy at the end, but nothing like, like uh, Alan Sugar would have been for us. So, no, Daniel Levy, for me, is, is an excellent chairman. And at least we've got somebody that, that supports the club. Because mm, yeah. you know, so many modern-day chairmen literally are seeing it as a business and they have no connection with the football club at all. And I think you're right, even when he's made the, the, the decisions that haven't gone down so well, things like losing Redknapp and things like that, I honestly believe he's, he's made the decisions he's made with the best intentions. And, that you know, we'll, we'll all get decisions right and wrong, won't we, in our lives? But, no, I'm a, a big Daniel Levy supporter. We will. I think the funniest thing about the whole thing about Levy here is that I think a lot of us at the time when Pochettino's name was mentioned as manager, we were like, who? Pochettino? He's, he's been at Southampton for a very short period. I remember, you know, it was the likes of Frank Dubois, Louis van Gaal, those kind of names were thrown about. And Pochettino, to be fair to Daniel Levy, he seems to have backed him from day one. And I think you can see now just the, the success that has brought for both Spurs and Pochettino in general, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we are going to see that rewarded in some form of a trophy, which we're going to come on to ask Martin in a little bit. Chase, very quickly, I want to ask you the same question I asked Martin. Um, are you surprised that the club never lived up to the period that we had in terms of the double, the Bill Nicholson, the, the glory era? Are you surprised by the lack of success? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when you look at that 60s side and, it, you know, winning the double, runner-up the following year, winning the European trophy in 63... Even in the, you know, beating Chelsea in '67, I think it would be a, a disappointment that we've never won a league title since that time. Um, you know, I think we had a real close run thing in '85. I don't, you know, in the in the last few years, people have have seen Tottenham and they think we've been in a title race. But 1985 was the year for me that, even more so than the last couple, where it's the first time in my life I actually had a game. And I thought Spurs are going to be champions. That win at Anfield in 85, where we hadn't won at Anfield since 1912. And here we were 73 years on going to Anfield and winning. And that day we were joint top of the, of the first division with 13 games left. Nine of which home. You know, people would be astonished that you'd have nine of your last 13 games at home. But because of, you know, winter rearrangement, cup arrangements, we had... 13 games left, nine at White Hart Lane and were joint top, and yet we didn't win the league. And that's the one that, you know, that's the year for me that we missed the, the biggest chance of all. And Everton, you know, Everton came to White Hart Lane a few weeks later, beat us, I think it was 2-1 on the night, with, yeah. with Neville Shuffle having a fantastic game. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's, that, as I say, that's the year for me that we should have won it. Okay, fair enough. Martin, I have to come back round to you. A, a question actually going to be for both of you, but Martin, to start off with. Um, we often hear about the glory nights of European football at White Hart Lane. I mean, going back only a couple of weeks ago, it's that Real Madrid performance at Wembley. How big was that for you personally? And are you a slightly tinge disappointed that we didn't get the, that experience of that win at White Hart Lane? No, because it was just such a great night. How can you carp about anything? Mm. I mean, I was unfortunate enough to not be there. I was oh, watching right. it for of my office trying to get the paper together for the next day uh and it was but it was still nervy as hell and you know even at 
when they when they pulled it back to three one, I'm just thinking, oh come on, let's just get blow the final yeah, whistle. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I've been, you know, I saw some wonderful. Um, and I remember as a, as a young boy seeing those the, the um, quarter and semi final in '74 against Leipzig and Cologne, and I remember um, other games. You know, '84 the games all the way through to that final and what and being there for that game when they when they beat Anderlecht on penalties. And I remember, you know, the sheer tension of the nil-nil draw against Milan in mm. 2010. Yeah. You know, everyone remembers the uh, Inter game and Taxi for Mycon and all of that. And for me, just as exciting and memorable, because it was so tense, was holding on for that nil-nil against, against Milan, having won one nil in the away leg. And Samuel Clapman's early goal line clearance by Gallas which kept it at nil-nil on the night. And we, the last 20 minutes actually was quite easy, although you were a bit tense. But those nights mean just as much. And for me, watching, you know, beating Bayern Munich um, in the semi-final 84, the incredible huddle performance against Feyenoord earlier in that campaign, where in the first half, he destroyed a team, including Cruyff and, and Hullet, and it was just unplayable. And, you know, Gullit and Archibald, sorry, uh, Galvin and Archibald both scored twice. Those are the games you remember. But, as a single one-off performance, beating Real Madrid was the greatest night, I would argue, greatest performance mm. in the history of Tottenham Hotspur. Really? Not the greatest night because he didn't win anything. It wasn't for a trophy. Yeah. As a one-off game mm. to beat the champions of Europe and not just beat them, take them to the cleaners. Yeah. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, it is. It's it as is. good as it gets. Yeah. It's funny, you do remind me of Red App saying good as it gets, but I completely agree with you. The performance, I mean, it was faultless, all right, apart from the goal we let in. It was such a great night. I mean, Jay, me and you were both there. Jay, would that top the list for you, the glory, glory nights of European football? I think, as Martin said, as a, as a one-off game, um, to beat the, what, three, they've won it three of the last four years, and they're, what, 12 or 13 times, and, and you know, I've always viewed Real Madrid as the as the biggest club in the world, so... Yeah, for me as as a one-off night, but I, I, my glory, glory night would always be that that final against Anderlecht. You know, the, the whole drama of the night, going behind in the game, the penalty shootout, Robbo's equaliser taking it to penalties, and to see a trophy at the end of it lifted on your own turf. And you, people won't understand it now. That I mean, the, the, the UEFA Cup in those days was a much bigger competition than it is now because you had the teams that. Had finished second, third and fourth in France and Spain and Italy. They were all going in for that competition. And the European Cup, you know, was was, was a lot, I wouldn't say it was easy to win, but other than perhaps three or four teams in it, you, you would have looked at it in those days and think, well, we can win that. But that UEFA Cup was really big sides in it. And I think, you know, to win a competition like that on your own pitch, that for me will always be my, my biggest European night. But, oh, I mean, Real Madrid was... You know how much I was buzzing yeah, when that draw came out, and yeah. um, you know none of us will ever forget last last Wednesday at all. And Wembley was rocking, wasn't it? You know, you had the opposite on Sunday, but when people say you can't get an atmosphere at Wembley, if they were there last week, they saw an atmosphere. Yeah, it was an amazing game. It was an amazing game. Martin, in your book, it's fascinating. You you talk about there I say the gory years, the fall from grace following Bill's departure to the ignominy of relegation. Um, talk us through that, if you don't mind. Well, you know, Bill went and in came uh, Terry Neal. Talk about ex-Arsenal managers, he gets forgotten. But yeah. th- there were members of the board who didn't even know he was a f- he'd been at Arsenal. 
I mean, it's just astonishing that he played. They had no idea. It shows how, you know, away from the reality these people were. And I'm not blaming Whale and Richardson and these sort of people, but they just had no cognizance of what it what it was about. Terry Neal just didn't fit at Tottenham. Um, and they got away with it. Last game of the season, they played um, Leeds at home. And Leeds had the European Cup final the following week. And they basically went easy. And Spurs won 4-2. The problem was that Alfie Conn sat on the ball. <laughs> and... Um, Billy Bremner basically said to Steve Perryman, if he does that again, we'll do you over. And I'll, in more <laughs> aggressive language, I think it's fair to say. And and Steve Perryman is still furious at, at Alfie Com, 30, you know, 40 odd years later for daring to do that and behave like that on a football pitch. Uh, and Spurs won the game 4 2 and stayed up. Um, but the following season under Neil, again, they they, they did actually better there in, in the top half. But then, then Neil walked out to go to. Um, uh, to go to uh, Arsenal, Keith Birkenshaw came in and they were a mess. And it was an old team who got old together and the quality had diminished. The players that they wanted to bring through in the early 70s under Bill, there have been a lot of injuries that had really harmed those players. So very talented boys just got injured together and never really fulfilled their potential. And you ended up with a team which really simply was not very good deservedly getting relegated. I mean, finished bottom of the league and they were terrible. <laughs> and it was a pretty awful time to be a Spurs fan. I was 10-11. It was heartbreaking. It really was. And it was hard to get your head around the fact that your team was going to... In those days, you know, Spurs had always been a big team. Mm. There was me having to go to school for a year with my team in the second division. That's pretty tough. It really is when you're 10-11, you know, and it's... It was a it was a miserable period, albeit it did allow me to get the glorious admiral kit which we got <laughs> with the, the following year, which is with the um, with the armband. And I quite like that admiral kit, which I got for my eleventh birthday, which was a big thing. Um, but yeah, it was there were bad moments and there were some bad players. Um, they did their best, they tried really hard, they just weren't very good. Mm. It's fascinating. I mean, we had the whole thing with, with Pat Jennings losing his. You know, being let go to Arsenal and Barry Danes, uh, because it was Barry deserved to go was the view um, to go and go. And then we had, you know, Mark Kendall and Media Alexis, these sort of keepers who did their best, just weren't quite good enough. Um, and some, I mean, strikers, Ian Moores and Chris Jones and Colin Lee. I mean, just look at them and look <laughs> at what they did. You know, John Duncan doing his very best, but not quite being, you know, getting on a little bit as well. You weren't scared by any players in that team. The only thing that kept the flame alive in that period in the mid-70s was this young kid with long hair from Harlow who could play a little bit, who turned into, for me, for many years, the finest footballer I'd ever seen in a Tottenham Hotspur shirt. And that was Glenn Hoddle. And I used to go to watch Glenn Hoddle as much as anything else because every Saturday I went along, whether I stood on the shelf or then moved to stand behind the goal at Paxton Road, he would do something that would make me think, how does he do that? God, isn't he? I mean, that is what he's referred to. He is as God. Jay, bring it around to you. That season there, Martin talks about, it's actually 40 years ago. And it remains, I believe, to be your favourite ever season. Do you want to tell all the listeners why that is? Yeah, I mean, I first got in 76, but that 77, 78 season was, was really my first season where I, I started to go when my dad was taking me every Saturday and I think 
of of the Saturdays that we played that year, the only home game I missed was the was the nine nil win against Bristol Rovers. <laughs> I've never for, never forgiven him for that. But you know, the whole year, even though we were a Division Two side for that one season, you know, as a kid, when you when you're going for your first season, you start winning games more often than you're losing them. And the kids at school aren't taking the Mickey out of you anymore. Uh, as Martin said, those Admiral kits, you know, the first the first real kits of of modern designs, I suppose you could say. You know, when, when shirts before that were literally just plain colours, suddenly we had the, these little Admiral logos down the sleeves and, and, you know, all the teams, the Leeds, the Southamptons, the Palaces, West Ham's, they all started to get this wonderful Admiral kit and, and ours, was, ours was fantastic. But, you know, everywhere we went that season, we were the, the biggest game of the season. I mean, I, my first ever away game was, was at Orient, Leighton Orient, and we drew 1-1. And Leighton Orient's average gate that year was 7,000. And yet there was 28,000 there for the, for the Spurs game. And I can remember going to Crystal Palace a few weeks after that. 40-odd 40, 40 thousand at Palace for a, a ground that was usually only holding 15,000. And things like that. That, that was just a, a, a season I'll never forget. And the teams that we'd never... I, I didn't know Leighton Orient. I didn't know Mansfield Town. Even Blackburn Rovers for me, I, I don't think I'd ever seen Spurs play against Blackburn, things like that. So it was it was such a new thing. Brighton, I think we'd never. I think that was the first year we'd ever played Brighton. So so many of the parts of it were, were so different that I've I've never had a more enjoyable season for that. But obviously, as a kid, that's that's the first impressionable season that's in my mind. Martin, I want to come round to you now. Interesting subject. In part of the book, there's a great section highlighting the Jewish connection to the club, the use and the debate around the Y word. As a Jewish fan, where do you stand on the use of that word and the songs that surround it? This is quite difficult. I find it extremely problematic. Mm. Um, my father, through much of his life, has had to deal with anti-Semitism uh, and it's been an issue where... It was a pejorative word. Now, I understand the argument that you're reclaiming the word. But I know a lot of Jewish fans, particularly, feel very uncomfortable at it being... Now, there are some Jewish fans, and I quote a couple in the book, who are very happy to use the word and to make it a badge of pride and a badge of honour. I just genuinely find it difficult. And it's not... It's a personal view. It's not about... I'm not saying I'm right or I'm wrong. It's mm. just just my my take, and I do find it difficult to hear, and particularly when you know that some of the people who are using it aren't Jewish. <laughs> um, it's as simple as that, and uh, you know they're, they're not. Um, look, some of them are possibly, but a lot of uh, and the club has always had a big Jewish fan fan base. You know, I mean, the the, uh, the suggestion, you know, I've, I've and I've read this is. That, one in three Tottenham fans in the 30s were Jewish, which is why the decision to play the, the game against Nazi-era Germany in, at White Hart Lane in 1935 was, was so staggeringly crass at the time, as, almost as crass as the FA's response to the, uh, the protest that, it, that it, it, uh, it brought in its wake. But I do find it difficult. And, yet I've, and I like the, the fact that people aren't scared of admitting the heritage. It's really, Ajax do the same thing, don't they? With mm. with the style of David being used often by Ajax fans, because again, they were traditionally from a Jewish part of Amsterdam. Um, so to remember the heritage is one thing, and I think I have no problem with that whatsoever. But I'm I just find it difficult and problematic 
for the, some of these songs to, to be sung. And I can't join in them. And I never could. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I just feel uncomfortable. Okay, fair enough. It's good to get your thoughts on that. I mean, it's it's in the book, so I feel we have every right to bring that up. And it, it's great to hear your views on that. Chase, come over to you. Have you got any thoughts on that? I mean, as a, as a Spurs fan, hearing that, does it does it does it mean anything to you? That terms of like you know, like Martin says, there it's used as a term of affection. It's glorified in that way. Any thoughts from your perspective on that? It, it is a tough one, isn't it? Um, because you know, I think the. Uh, the association with the word. I mean, for so many of us, non-Jewish people, we got called it at school because you were a Spurs fan. And, mm. and that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously now living in Thailand, there's there's people here that will walk around on, on match day with Yid Army on their shirt. And, and they're all openly sing Yiddo, Yiddo, Yiddo type of thing. And to them, it is literally, I don't think they even understand the, the connection with the word. And, I think if you if you ask anyone what that word means, their only thought is it's a description of a Spurs fan, much like you're a, a gooner or you're a or a mank or something like that. It's mm. it's it doesn't have the connotation here, so um, it, it's a difficult one, a really difficult one. I mean, one of my favourite songs going back years ago used to use it, and I'm sure Martin will will know it. But everyone used to sing about standing at the back of the shelf and go into the bar to buy a lager and, and that was a, a really really popular song in those those 70s 80s but you know we, we do live in a in a different era and um it, it, we had the furore didn't we five or six years ago with with the word being banned around the ground and um you know we've eventually got back to being able to use it and the the big popular song now about you know the thing i love most obviously contains it so you know, I don't think we'll ever we'll ever solve the problem, and I think the word is there. You know, the word will continue to be used. That's for sure. Martin, are you surprised that the era we live in now? I mean, for you, obviously, you don't like the term being used, and that's absolutely fair enough from your perspective. Are you surprised that it's been very hard to eradicate the term? No, and I'm not saying I'm not actually calling for eradication. I talk, you know, oh, no, no. I, I yeah. understand the argument. I just I think it's a really it's a really difficult issue for yeah. because. There are no rights or wrongs on this, mm. I don't think. It depends on your perspective. Of course. And as I said, I've got, I've got friends who are Jewish who happily use it um, when they're discussing Spurs. Others just won't. And it's just about personal, personal views. My fear about the word, the word negative connotations, it's a disparative, dismissive, pejorative phrase for many, many years. And yes, we know what it, you know, it comes from Yiddish, which is, you know, a, a bastardized version of, medi of Hebrew, which is what it was, which is, and Hebrew itself is medieval high German. So, you know, it, it's, 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 it's from the language, but it was used for so many, in so many places, in so many ways, as a negative, pejorative, dismissive term, a term of abuse, that I find it hard to get my head around it being a term of endearment. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Fair enough. No, listen. I think it's, it's, an, it's an interesting debate, and it's one that I think it, it has. It's been spoken about for so long, isn't it? And I think, like you say there, Martin, there's no kind of right or wrong. It depends on the oh. person and their perception. Jace, talking of chance, I mean, you've heard a load over many, many years. You have a few favourites. Um, is there any you'd like to drop from the current <laughs> era? Well, I think the, the, the controversial ones that, that I always hear people saying uh, that we should drop is the is the Campbell chance. 
you know, time has moved on. He's, so, yeah. he's got no relevance to the current squad. Um, you know, plenty of fans don't even remember him playing for us now. So true. And, um, you know, the, 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 that's the one I think that, that always comes up. And, and obviously, you know, going back for oh, 10, 10 years or so, then we had the, the, the arguments about that when, when Harry Redknapp, I think when he was Portsmouth manager, pulled out Tottenham fans and, and said, you know, it's, it's time for all this nonsense to stop. And yet, here we are, and it still goes on today. And I think the other one that, that irritates some fans is the the your SH to the to the Hey Jews and things like that when you sing it in the opposition. And I remember Vass on one of our shows saying, "Why do we sing that one?" Mm. But I, I must, I, I just think that's that's part of banter that one. And we felt a bit foolish singing it at two 0 up against West Ham, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and then finding finding that game turn round. But I think the Campbell one's obviously the the controversial one, I think, that, that people sing today. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing of that is, we've gone through, I think, a couple of generations since, and we've had fabulous defenders since that. I think, like I say, we have moved on in time. I mean, Martin, I want to bring it back to you. So, back to the book. Anyone who sees the title of the book shouldn't be misled thinking that the book only covers the glory years, should it? I mean, it does cover it as well, Martin, and we've alluded to it on this podcast. I mean, the awful period of the 90s, the sugar takeover the fallout of Venables, and that's despite the 1991 FA Cup win. That mediocre at best relegation threatened period of the 90s, just how depressing, Martin, for the newer supporters to Spurs, was that time of being a Tottenham fan, that 90s period? Because it, it was tough. I mean, I grew up in it. So coming from you, Martin, writing the book, how tough was it you to put that down on paper? Oh, it was. It, I think it needed to be there because it also makes you realise how good things are, are now. But... Oh, crikey. It was basically, you, you needed to take medication to get through it, didn't you? It was it was so depressing and oh, they were so rubbish. I mean, seriously, they, mm, were, they were garbage. And it was, it was, and there were some odd games that, you, that were quite good. But even then, I went, look, the games that summed it up really for me was like the, the sort of full storm were well, those two games against United and City, actually, you know, under Glenn, where they're three up at half time. Oh, yeah. And, but that was so Tottenham. And there was always... They would find a way to mess it up against absolutely anybody. Yeah. And those were the good days. The bad days were just desperate. You would turn up and you would not enjoy a moment of it. And there had been that, that period in the late... late yeah, the 80s. And then, um, and then Venable. You thought the club was going forward. Uh, and then it all fell apart and the, the advent of the Premier League was a disastrous time for Tottenham. It just didn't work. It was a, an accident of timing that really, really hurt Spurs. The funny, um, the funny thing, Martin, I've got to just say to you, I'll, for one second, is that as Spurs fans now, and people will say, oh, we've changed, you know, we're adopting to a new era. You ask any Spurs fan now, even 3-0-4 up, you are not a true Tottenham fan if you are still not worried about a team coming back into a game, whether it's 20 minutes to go or 10 minutes to go. There is still that worry there. Do you not think? Is that just a part of being Tottenham? Oh, God. I, saw, I saw a tweet on, on Sunday, which mm. I thought was absolutely right, and I retweeted it, which is like, you're not proper Spurs unless three days after beating Real Madrid, you're worried silly <laughs> about playing Crystal Palace. And that's mm. absolutely right. Because yeah. we've all been, And to be fair, on Sunday, it was right. I... Felt saying it was wrong from minute one. I don't think it was helped actually because the the premature first silence killed the atmosphere on Sunday. Everyone went quiet when the servicemen came out, which was right. Mm. But then the players walked out into dead silence, and it took five minutes of the game before Spurs touched the ball because no one got their heads around the whole day. And the only atmosphere in the whole ground, I'm afraid, and I'm part of it as well, was 
was from the Palace fans who were non-stop. Yeah. It was, it was incredibly. I don't know what it was. It was, yeah, it was after the Lord. Well, it wasn't after the Lord Mayor show because obviously the Lord Mayor shows this weekend coming, <laughs> but it would have been otherwise. Um, and it was, you know, Sunday lunchtime, all of that. That was like, oh god, what's happened? And it was really strange. The only thing that's different is they played rubbish. They had half a team, and they won. And that isn't Tottenham. That's not. That's Pochettino Spurs. That's not old Spurs. Old Very Spurs true. would have luckily got, you know, if at yeah. best got a one-all draw. This is a different Tottenham. This is a manager and a team that, is, even in adversity, can find a way. And that's the best thing about it. But yeah, if you're a Tottenham fan, particularly those who've been through it, there's always that sense of, yeah, but what's going to go wrong? Exactly. I think because we'll always be the worst. With, yeah something going wrong mm, and, very true. but uh, after a period of time when things ca- keep on going right <laughs> you stop worrying about what's going to go wrong because guess what they don't go wrong oh fingers well, I hope you're right mine I say fingers crossed things can keep going from strap to strap as they have been Jace I want to bring you into this about the 90s I mean you touched upon it I think right at the very start of the pod about what we have had to go through Expand for us in a bit more detail, Jace. Tell the listeners out there, the younger ones who are listening, and just kind of tell them that was such a tough period to be a Spurs fan, wasn't it? I mean, Ginola, for me, was the shining light from the 90s. He was the man that made me fall in love with Spurs. And I think, like Martin, similar to him, you know, his dad was the one. And I said to my dad sometimes, I said, how can you put me through this? Why, why, why am I Tottenham? Why are you putting me through this? But you get used to it, Jay. Yeah, it was, it was tough going, that's for sure, I think. No more so than the, the period under Christian Gross, where, where you, you just wish that period had never happened. You, you, I wish I'd have, you know, hibernated for two years and <laughs> totally forgot the man ever took over. And, you know, to think, you know, you usually get that new manager bounce syndrome, don't you? And I think under Christian Gross, I think his first game at White Hart Lane, we lost 6-1 at home to Chelsea. Oh, dear. Sol Campbell playing and uh, Tori Andrew Flo getting a hat-trick. And just, just soulless going to Tottenham, you know. Gates down to then about twenty five thousand and things like that, and nothing was nothing was bearable in those days at all. Just so many awful, awful Andy Sintons. You know, to think we signed Andy Sinton and that was a oh blimey, we've signed Andy Sinton and three million quid. I mean, you know, <laughs> it was a lot of money then. It was a lot of money. So true. You know. You know, David Kerslake and Colin Calderwood figures <laughs> coming in, and it's just oh, David Ginola apart. I mean that era, and I suppose we had Jurgen, yeah, Jurgen, Jurgen the tail end of that, mm. which which gave us uh, gave us a one season one season bit of enjoyment. But I mean, even then, it was in such a, a poor side with with Aussie playing his one one eight formation, and <laughs> you know, don't need defenders. Let's just go and score as many goals as we can without realising you do have to have the ball. So Bless Aussie. Bless Aussie. Instead of it being all that exciting attacking football, it meant we were getting beat threes and four nils by Notts County and things like that. It's just awful era. And um, it certainly makes you appreciate the, the, the era we've got now. But just a funny thing, on when Martin mentioned the, um, the, 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 the capitulation in those three nil games against the Manchester clubs, I can remember for the Manchester City game, I was down in Australia on business. And obviously, with a 12-hour time difference, I listened to the game on the radio over breakfast that morning. And I think the next round of the Cup, had we won, we would have been away at Man United. And at 3-0 up, made the phone call back home to a, a girl at the time that was, was I was going to, to watch games with. And I said to her, look, 
tickets go on sale for the next round, you know, just before the end of the game. So make sure you leave early, get out in that queue and all after goal went in. And I can remember thinking, thank God I'm in Australia because I won't have to face all the fallout. And the very next morning, when you get the, the newspaper thrown under your door, there on the, the Sydney Herald or whatever, on the front page was this thing, make the city stage greatest ever comeback. And the, the hotel porters just constantly on at me every time I walked across the lobby. Ah, oh, you're 3-0 up and you lost 4-3. I, I can't even escape it in Australia. I'm getting bombarded with it. Crazy. Crazy oh, game. Honestly, as a Tottenham fan, listen, what we're going through now, we, we've deserved this this sustained period at the moment. Please, fingers as it continues. Martin, I've got to ask you, the book does bring us right up to the modern day with, of course, uh, the Ramos League Cup winning season, the taxi from Macon Night, and even the chapter on the various chairmen. I mean, it's great, Martin, you've managed to put this all into the book. What was it like in that part of the era, the Ramos period and the, and the bail period of the Champions League, and even the various chairmen writing on that? Was that quite an interesting feature for you in the book? Yeah, I think, look, I, I was very lucky. I mean, I know Irving Scholar gets a stick for Spurs fans, but he gave me the best part of four hours oh, to right. chat in, in central mm. London. The thing that came across from that was just he's still a fan. He, you know, he's, he's in he's, well the other side of 70 now, but he looks in fantastic nick, I've got to say. And he w- could still reel off you know, the seat he sat in when he was 10 and things like that. And he cared so much about the club and... He admits it didn't always go right. He made a few mistakes. He looks back now. He would swap all the money he's got to be chairman again. There's no doubt about it. He he still wishes desperately to see a Spurs team win the league. He said to me, he's almost his parting shot was, who would have imagined that, you know, I remember going to that cup final in 61. Who would have imagined that the next of those two teams to win the league would be Leicester oh, and Spurs yeah. wouldn't win the league again? And that's over 50 years ago. So it's still it's still there. Um, in that period, uh, Ramos came in and the players couldn't quite get their heads around him. There's no question about that. Uh, they did win the League Cup, of course. And that was brilliant fun because it beat Chelsea in the final, which we all enjoyed, particularly from a goal down. Of course, um, yeah. Uh, at, at Wembley. And then and it, it all fell apart spectacularly. At, at Portsmouth, I think, was the one that, that absolutely killed, killed Ramos mm. when they were shocking. I remember... I went outside, I was at the game covering it, and I went outside and I spoke to someone in the upper echelon, shall we say, of Spurs. And I was able to write pretty confidently that Ramos wouldn't last 24 hours because Mm. he was going to have to go because of what had gone on. And you do get that sense in the same way that I knew that the the writing was on the wall for Martin Joel after the 3-3 at Fulham. Uh, Even though he went a few weeks later, that was the one that had killed him the Fulham game. You sometimes get a sense of where things are going, uh, and how he came in and he he did transform the mood, no question about that. And there was some fantastic football played, and that was another. Near, it was a near miss because they had a great chance. And if you look, they weren't probably not going to win the league at any point, but they should have been top three in that in a couple of seasons. And falling away hurt him. And you know that 2011-12 season where they ended up finishing fourth and then not getting in the Champions League because, of course, Chelsea won the Champions League out of nowhere when they didn't deserve to. They fully had deserved to win it in truth in other seasons, but that season they didn't. They were terrible and still won it. Um, was was a devastating blow. And there was a view within the within the club that Harry had taken his eye off the ball. And he denies yeah. that, of course. Mm, of course but it yeah. certainly felt that the players felt 
that he had lost his focus, that he assumed he was going to get the England job. Mm. I think everyone did, in truth. No, I think I, I do believe that as well. I've got to agree with you, Martin. I want to ask you very quickly, Martin, just bring it back just for a, just a couple of different managers. Got we've had quite a few. Martin Yole, there's been quite a few articles this week, and I, I really am keen to also stress this. That for me, really, as, as a Spurs fan growing up, he was bar Pochettino who I'm in love with. Martin Yole was the first Spurs manager that I really connected with. Now, I'm 28 now. Um, I've got to ask you... Is it fair to say Martin Yole set the groundwork for what we're seeing now? Is that a fair point? Because that's how I feel. When you look at the managers we had, I mean, Redknapp came in, don't get me wrong, Ramos sandwiched in between. But Martin Yole, for me, was really the guy that took us from a a mediocre team and got us a couple of consistent top six finishes, if you remember. I think he was the manager who made the club believe that fourth and better was possible Mm. rather than a dream. Yeah. And obviously the frustration of uh, Lasagna Gate and all of that in 2006 <laughs> will, will never go away. Although no. actually, the, with the passing of passing of time, it does somewhat mm. because you move on and also what's happened since. Mm. Um, but it was the first season where we could actually go head-to-head with the big teams and expect or believe we could get a result on a regular basis. Before that, you know, you might sneak a result now and again, but you never expected it. No, Martin's team, you actually thought, could... Uh, could beat most sides, and they were they were top four basically all season until the yeah, last that last game. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look back, was it you know losing two 0 at blooming West Brom over Christmas <laughs> were rubbish. Draw that, and we end up fourth. And it's you know Arsenal aren't, and everything's different. And it's those sort of things. As much as losing to West Ham on the final day, it was it was frustrating in some regards. Uh, but he did he definitely improved the club, and it made. It made Daniel believe that he was going in the right direction, that the club could reach his ambitions and goals. But it also did get quite stale towards the end. And Martin fell out with people. And there was a sense of of drift in that last season before he went. I think still a bit of shock now about how he went. You know, half, yeah, half time. Was, was in yeah. That wasn't, wasn't the best, in no. truth. No. But it was coming. We all knew it was coming. As I said, it was that the Fulham game when they were 3-1 up and managed to conspire to draw 3-3. <laughs> I remember that. The fight was, oh, was actually dear. the beginning of the end in that yeah. regard. I think it's still 10 years on, Martin. I'm still struggling to know how we drew that game. I was in such control. We Berbatov. I mean, was football that day. was amazing. Jace, I want to come over to you very quickly just on this era. I've got for AVB in there as well, and the Santini. And like I said, we spoke about Martin Yolden, and Harry Redknapp. What did you make of that period? Very quickly, Jace. Well, I think you're right. Martin Martin gave us a little bit of dignity back and, and took us towards what was believable. And I think that Lasagna, Lasagna day, I think will will come again in the sense that um, we, we won't get the food poisoning from Lasagna again. But where where we had that and we thought, oh, are we ever going to get into that top four? You know, just when we thought we were about to do it, we've gone backwards. You're now getting people, will we win a league and things like that? And I think we'll cross our Lasagna gate era this time and we will we will get some of that glory back but um, I think Martin's Martin's big problem wasn't it was he, he made us dream of top fours but he couldn't get a result against the big sides and the nearly man wasn't it? Yeah. That era, we had we had big leagues didn't we I mean we had the Arsenal semi-final where we were 2-0 up at White Hart Lane and it ended up being 2-2 and we lost the second leg didn't we 3-1 up at Stanford Bridge yeah and we, we could not hold yeah. on in that mm. You know, those two games and, and you started to think, you know, will Martin ever be able to tactically get over that line? And um, But of course, he did break that 
that hoodoo of, of beating Chelsea at White Hart Lane when, when Aaron Lennon got the winner. But no, fantastic man for Tottenham. And he just loves the club, doesn't he? You, you hear it in his voice. He was on, uh, I think he was on BBC Radio about a month or so ago talking about Tottenham and that. And you still feel the, you still feel the love for the club from him. And, and you, you think he'd love to still be there and managing the club now. Yeah, well, John, it's funny, Joe, you say about that, because when it was announced, talking about the finale, 14th of May 2017, that Martin would be there, I think there was such a great amount of joy that Martin was coming back to the club. Obviously, we didn't see him on the pitch, but bringing that over to you, Martin, talking about another Martin, um, what did you make of that finale? I mean, I, I was there, it was such an emotional day as a fan, and taking it all in, I think the club did it so classy. It was such a special day. Yeah. What was it like for you? Was it you there? Really, I presume it you was, there. I was indeed. Mm. And I was, I mean, I was very, very fortunate that, um, and Simon Felstein did me an absolute favour. And you know Simon, he's obviously the, the head yeah. of comms at the club. And, yeah. and they've been great with me, Spurs, over on, on helping on, on the book. But um, I was sat amongst the legends. So the, all the old players who weren't on the pitch were at the back of, um, of the West Stand. And I was sat among them. I had Peter Crouch standing... Um, Sitting in front of me, Ledley King won on, and there were other players, and I knew, and obviously, luckily enough, I, because I've been around and I'm old and past it, and saw a lot of them when they were kids, and I, I, I knew a lot of the, I know a lot of them to say hello to, and it was fantastic to be amongst those people on that day, and it was, it was, it was really odd because, of course, it was the one time in the history of the the club and the ground where the main event wasn't the main event because it's always about the ninety minutes. And it wasn't. The match was, although winning the match guaranteed second, the match was actually a, mean, a means to the end. And the end was to spend that 45 minutes saying goodbye. And there was a lot of people who were who were coming to struggle to come to a term with it. And it was a really difficult day for me. And it was it was a wonderful day. And I think that you know the way it happened, and that I was a bit concerned when the, the pitch invasion took place. I thought they were going to get them off. It would have been horrible if they had to to cancel everything but eventually it didn't take that long five ten minutes the fans went back and the, the people started to walk out and they put the stage up and then the, the gospel singers came on and all of that and i just thought it was beautiful i really did i thought it was a gorgeous lovely elegiac way to say goodbye to this place yeah and i remembered it and i waited until pretty much everyone had gone and I was so I was one of the last to leave, not the very last, but one of the last to leave, just to have one final look at the ground and look at what it'd been. And I walked slowly down those those you know concrete stairs, which suddenly looked very old and dated. And of course, the stand, you know, I remember when it went up, and I remember standing standing on the shelf the year it was going up in '81 too, and it looked so modern and new. And then you're there the final days; it's going to be knocked down. You think actually. It's a bit tatty, really. It might look okay, but it's not. It's of its time. It's gone. It's past. It's, it needs a change. But I walked and I went to what used to be number eight, the, the pub on the, on the corner, in that little beer garden courtyard out the back with a couple of people after the game, just to have a beer and to look. And it was there still. And I thought to myself, you'll never see this again. Mm. You'll never see that building again. And I, you know, before that, I'd walked all the way along the main stand to to look at the the new stadium being built, look back to the old stadium. You know, standing between the two, and thinking to myself, you know, the next time I come here, that won't be there. 
that will be completed. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go until it's done. I don't. I won't go until it's till it's till it's spanking you and there in a place. And that was the past. This is going to be my future and my son's future. That was where my dad took me. That's where I grew up. But this is where my boy's going to grow up. And it was a painful day, but it was a beautiful day, a glorious day, and a, and a, a day I'll never forget because it, it felt like this sort of period, which was a bridge. I was physically and, more importantly, I guess, mentally crossing from one from the, the past into the future. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible day. Even the rainbow came out. I mean, Jay's reflecting on it now. A bit of time since. Anything for you you want to share about that day and how special it was? Yeah. Well, as I say, to me, it's it's, it's the Trigger Broom Stadium. <laughs> I, I've thought of it as, and um, you know, all the all the big memories are for me. All the, the the glory nights that I remember all came in the in the previous carnation of White Hart Lane. If you think, you know, that that, that nineteen eighty four standing on the shelf and. You know, when I look back and think, I, I would go to White Hart Lane in crowds of 45, 50,000, and yet, yet the, the stadium that, that finished last year, 36,000, I always thought, you know, it's not big enough. We, we do deserve a, a bigger stadium. And, um, you know, I was there the night of the, that 4-4 game against Villa, which was, what, 125 years, wasn't it, I think, that night. And you could, you could see the pomp and ceremony on it that night. But it always felt to me that the, the last version of White Hart Lane that is too small, we deserve better. And I think because the new one overlaps it, it just feels like we've put a, to me, it will feel like we've put this wonderful, shiny extension on the, on the existing one. And I think the important thing is your journeys will be the same. You'll drink in the same places. You'll probably, most people end up parking a car in the same place. And you can pop a car on his first. Well, well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> Very true. Very true. I think your book, Marty, says how you used to con a policeman and telling you. Oh, we did. Oh, my dad used to. Yeah. Brilliant. So I mean, he's very proud of himself still. He's seventy odd now, but he's he's very proud of that. I think I just look forward to the new one, mate. And and sixty thousand, as I say, it's important for me. It's on the same site. It's not like we're we're doing anything different. We're not going to suddenly get off at a different station. And I just can't wait for that. And the fact we've only gone a year, I think Wembley will actually help us settle into that new one as well. We're suddenly getting used to playing in this giant stadium with new surroundings and things like that. And I think that will, will actually help us when we go into the new one. So, no, 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 no tears that day. I think the last time I was there was the Millwall game, the 6 nil game. And even that day, I was looking around thinking, no, it's the last time it's gone. But we already had a, a hole in the corner by then, didn't we? We for did, me. yeah, so, we did. You know, it was down to 32,000 and it, it just felt, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of time to move on and it's been fantastic having it here, but let, let's get the, get the new one open and, and on we go. Yeah. Jess, I want to ask you just very quick before I come to Martin on this, we're slowly wrapping up here, but based on the period of success we had in the past, the 80s, you know, just the free trophy since that UEFA Cup 33 years ago, um, do you think we are going to ever see the glory, glory days again? And you refer to the fact that you still believe, I can tell, a title is coming. How far can this side go to matching the great sides of the past? I think if you keep this side together, then then I'm convinced a title will come. I think, for me, a title will come. I think if we can get 86, 87 points and keep getting around that, that total that we did last year, you know, it might not be enough this year. City might 
might blow past us. But I think if you if you can continue to get in those mid eighties in terms of the number of points, eventually one will will tip over your way. And I think that that's what I want. I, I've seen us win an FA Cup. I've seen us win a League Cup. I've seen us win the UEFA Cup. But the title for me is is the big one that that I want us to do. And I think the great Spurs sides are remembered by those those two titles. And I think, you know, we will, I'm, I'm convinced, we will get across the line over the next few seasons at least once. And I think once we do that, so many of the, the negative things about Tottenham, the, the coverage that we get, and we'll talk probably about that in a few minutes' time, but so many of those things will disappear. The media as a whole will, will criticise us at the moment because we haven't got across the line. And I think once we do, then, then so many of the bad things will go away for us. And the, the word Spursy will disappear forever then. That's that's the other thing. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Martin, bringing it around to you, time is against us, so I have to ask you this as well. Um, do you think we're going to see this side go on to match the greats that you just discuss in the book at such great length? Yeah, I genuinely do. It's the best team I've mm. seen in all of my years. It's fantastic. The players are great. The squad depth is getting bigger and bigger. This manager is brilliant. Simply brilliant in binding players together, making them play, giving them the ability to play three or four different systems in the same game if need be. It's the best time for decades to be a Spurs supporter. And why not? They're they're better than any other team still. still, City City at the moment are the best side in the league. Mm. No question. They're playing brilliantly. But they were the best side in the league until the end of October last year. They may, if, if City go through the season unbeaten and winning 35 games, then of course they'll win the title. Yep. Brilliant, they deserve to. The only team at the moment I think could get close to them is Tottenham. Genuinely. I know that they're you know, level, level on points with United at the moment and they lost to United the other week. We're better than United. We just are. No, I agree. They're a fantastic yeah. team with fantastic players. And... Who wouldn't want to be a Tottenham supporter at the moment? It's the greatest time for many, many years. And if you keep playing that well, that way, for long enough, it's a natural consequence that trophies will come. It's interesting that Maurizio said that on, on Wednesday, didn't he? Again, he after did. The round, yeah, he did. Game. He said, you know, yeah, it's all well and good winning, winning games. We've got to start winning things. He knows it because that kills all the other issues. Once you start winning trophies... Nobody asks why people want to stay at Spurs. So true. They take it for granted that people will want to stay at Spurs. And then all the, the questions, oh, the media are out to get... No, they're not. They're just asking the questions that, in truth, we're all sort of asking, like, can they keep these players together? Mm. If you're winning trophies, you don't even have to ask the question because you know they're going to keep the players together. Yeah, I promise you we've got just a couple more questions, Martin. It's been such a great hour. Really, really enjoyed this. Chase, I'm going to come over to you. I'm going to ask you both, Martin, this question. Um, if either of you could have any one player that you've witnessed from your past back into this team. Now, it sounds like, I say, both of you are around the same similar kind of era of watching Spurs. So, Chase, over to you first. What player for you in the past you put into this Tottenham team now would make that massive difference? I think specifically into this team, there's, there's two players that would come into mind, but I think Martin might choose one of them. So, um, <laughs> I think when I, when I look at this side, this specific side, and people say, what does it miss? We, and, and we know that from our regular podcast weekly questions, we get we get constantly. Do we need wits? Do we need pace? Where's the game changer? For me, the, the player that, that is obviously quite recent to us that answers all three of those is Bow. And I think if you put Bow in this side, we would have won. We would have won the league against 
Leicester, and I think we'd have won it last year because a few of those draws, when we go into that November time where each of the couple of seasons we've had draws, Bell was winning those games, wasn't he? The, that West Ham game, the, the Sunderland game, the Southampton game, two at West Brom, they're the type of things that we were drawing that, that Bell just got us across the line. So I would say put Bell in this side, then we definitely win the league, although he's definitely not the, the best, greatest player I've I've seen. I might fancy Maradona in there as well. We can't. We can't. We can let you have that one, Jay. So we can let you have that one. Can I sneak Maradona in as my second choice as well? <laughs> trust you, Jay. Trust you, Martin. Bring it around to you. The same question: Who would you put in this Spurs side from the past that, for you, would make the ultimate difference? Well, I didn't see him play, so I can't say for certain. But 266 goals tells you that if you put Jimmy Greaves in any good team, you'll win trophies. It's as simple as that. Mm. And I was, I've was i been very lucky. I loved watching Martin Chivers and Martin, uh, Martin Peters and Steve Perriman in that era. I loved watching Klinsman and, and obviously Glenn was my hero as a boy going up. Can you imagine a front two of Kane and Greaves? Oh. How many goals you'd score? <laughs> I mean... How many goals you'd score with those two up front? They'd be fighting each other for the golden boot every season. Yeah. That's 65 goals minimum between the pair of them in the league alone. City wouldn't stand a chance, would they, Martin? They wouldn't stand a chance. No one would stand a chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Would be a fantastic... Well, I, I, go on, Jace. I, I'd left it open for Martin because I thought he was going to pick Glenn Oddle over Chris Really? Side, oh, okay, like. that's interesting. I'd left Hoddle off. off well, I mean, to be look, Glenn was my hero, mm. but just and they, and and I would I would still pay to watch Glenn Hoddle play. Mm. That's how much I respect for him as a player. I had it was more difficult when I had to deal with him as a as a manager. I've got to be honest, <laughs> but I still like because of what he did. I always felt I had to try and give Glenn a bit of slack, even when he was being a bit silly at times. Mm. And I still, lo- I still love him to bits because he was, for me, he's the greatest player I'd ever seen in a Spurs shirt. That's how good he was. Because I didn't see Jimmy Greaves play. I was just too young for that. But, cool. wouldn't you want those goals? Oh, <laughs> Simple true. as that. It's very true. Goals, goals make games, don't they? They really do. Jason, I want to hand over to you. I know you've got a couple of questions to ask to Martin. So, floor's yours. Yeah, I think Martin's, Martin's touched on it. Yeah, but I think we've, we've, all heard, we've all heard Martin as a, as a Spurs supporter tonight. But, He's such a well-known red-top figure, formerly at the Daily Mirror, now Deputy Head of Sport of the Sun. Martin, Kane's leaving. Eric Dyer's leaving. Uh, Ericsson's leaving. Danny Rose. Wants to go. Danny Rose wants to go. Kevin De Bruyne had been at City two years. One League Cup, that's all he's got to show of it. Surely Barcelona want Kevin De Bruyne. Surely Real Madrid, PSG want players. Why is it only Spurs players leaving? And, and as a newspaper... When you, you're printing the stories, and you've said it yourself tonight, Daniel Levy will only let one go. So how do the Red Tops think we're going to sell five or six players in one year? Well, but they either don't, but there's no... Look, Philip Coutinho... Barcelona want Philip Coutinho, so people wrote it. Mm. They did. Mm. And, he, and I still think he wants to go. Eric Dyer and Danny Rose, this summer, both wanted to go. And were t- they did. I can promise you, mm. 100%, they wanted to go. And Daniel said to them, 
Maurizio said to them, no, you're not going. End of. Now, you may argue, what right has Danny Rose, having not played since January, to start moaning about, about his salary? That's a mm. different issue altogether. Of course, yeah, yeah. He wanted, he wanted to go. Kevin De Bruyne, if Barcelona come in for Kevin De Bruyne, then don't worry, people will write like they did Real Madrid looking at Eden Hazard because it was true. But they haven't yet. If, and I'm amazed that they haven't because I think Kevin De Bruyne is a fabulous football player. And if he takes apart Barcelona in the Champions League quarterfinals, I bet you any money you like that you'll be reading Barcelona want Kevin De Bruyne stories. But at this moment, they haven't shown any interest in him. In the same way, Real Madrid have not even hidden their interest in Kane and Ali. Doesn't mm. mean they're going to sign them. No, of course. But to be fair, you know, it's not the trouble. Most fans only read about their own club. Mm. Throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, Arsenal fans every week read Vieira's off, Henri's off, Fabregas is off, Bergkamp is off, until they actually all went. Man United for three years read. Ronaldo's off until he actually read went but you only read it about your club you only remember it about your club and Spurs also do out, go out and try and get players from other clubs and the other clubs don't like it do you really think that you know um, Southampton were happy to read that Spurs wanted Alderweireld and Wanyama <laughs> no they didn't but guess what that's what happened do you think Palace fans really enjoyed three months of Spurs after Zahar well, the reason that people were writing Spurs were after Zahar because Spurs were after Zahar. But that's all right because it's us trying to buy somebody else's players. So I know it can be a frustration at times, but as I said, until Spurs start winning things, people are... are and you yourself, you know, who, who could we lose? It's, it's a natural question. Mm. People are going to ask the question. Until there's no... And then, then when, when the club starts to win, and it will start to win... The question goes away. But look, my view, my understanding, my expectation, shall we say, is that Maurizio, even if Zidane got sacked this summer, probably wouldn't go to Real Madrid. That's what I'm told and I'm willing to believe that. Mm. I do think that it's not unreasonable to expect that next summer, not this summer, with a change of agent, if Spurs haven't won anything, that Deli Ali might go to Real Madrid if they come in for him. That, that sounds logical as well, doesn't it? That sounds logical as well, Martin, doesn't it? I mean, from what we hear. In the same way, mm. in the same way, I do not think, unless Spurs finish tenth, that Harry Kane leaves Tottenham for at least four years. Okay, there you That's go. That's it. He there has no interest in leaving. In fact, he he has made it crystal clear to anybody he will not leave. He doesn't want to go and he wished people wouldn't. But that doesn't mean that Real Madrid don't want him. No, of course not. Because yep. if you're Real Madrid and you've got Karim Benzema up front and you probably think that at 29-30, Lewandowski is too old, who are you going to want? Who's the best young centre-forward in Europe? Well, it's Harry Kane. Yeah. You're Real Madrid and you think you're the biggest <laughs> team in the world. So, of course you want him. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean you're going to have to sell just, <laughs> and Daniel won't sell and how he's the difference comes when the player pushes for a move mm. so aggressively as Kyle Walker did this summer that it's damaging to keep him yep. and that was a decision Tottenham made in the summer and Maurizio made immediately from March actually that they weren't going to try and keep 
Kyle Walker. They were going to cash in. And they did. And it was pretty clear. I was made. I was told very early, before the end of the season, basically, you can write what you want about Kyle Walker because he's off. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, the great thing is, we did go out. We did actively recruit. We've, we've replaced Walker as such a warrior. Still a long way to go for the lad. I think we've seen some promising things from him. We've seen some rash things for him. Um, but ultimately, you know, with Pochettino, like we've seen Martin, the way he's progressed, the likes of the fullbacks with Trippier. And Davis, I mean, there's, he's done such thorough good work with these guys and the way he's brought Rose's game on as well. Let's not forget that, that you feel with Aurea, he will get it right. Jace, want to hand back to you. Is there anything else you want to ask Martin at all? No, just a question now, Martin, of, of where we can buy this, this great book. Well, hopefully you can buy it from loads of places. Um, <laughs> it's in Waterstones, it's on Amazon. Um, it's all, hopefully more places. As I, as I do joke, it's available in all good shops and good bookshops, and hopefully a few bad ones as well. <laughs> um, I hope people will read it. Well, I hope from the, just from listening to this, they realise that my love for the club is oh, is unquestioned. And, I'm sure. And, and it's it's it was a labour of love. I enjoy it was it was blooming hard work because I actually got a full time job that I've got to do. So all of my <laughs> days off, and I was working till silly o'clock night after night to try and do the club and the book justice. I think it was important that it wasn't one of those books that was just knocked off in half an hour. I put a lot of work in. I hope that shines through. I hope my love for the club shines through my debt to the club as well. My personal um, debt to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club comes through in this book. And if people buying it get half as much out of it as I put into it, I think they have a good Christmas because <laughs> that's you know that's a sort of it's, it's a Christmas book it's a Spurs book if you I, I hope genuinely and you two have, have read it I yep. hope you 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 agree that it's an honest book as well it's it's a purse deeply personal and I mean for me one of the best chapters is the one about the the Allen family because you know from Les to Clive and Paul and even Bradley who's work, working still with the the youth setup. That's 60 years of service. Incredible. Most of it, you know, and they all care as much as any fan because the club, even though they've moved on and played for different clubs and everything else, Spurs is, is the be-all and end-all. And that's brilliant. And I love that. And every fan feels the same way, that Spurs is everything. Yeah, I've got to say on the book, Martin, that you, you say, and I think anyone, the great thing about this book is it appeals to all different ages, you know, anyone out there listening to the podcast, honestly, this book, it takes you right from the very start to where we are now under Maurizio. You have to go out and get it, guys. Like I say, in all major book uh, bookstores, on Amazon as well, I'm, I'm assuming, Martin? Yes, it is on Amazon, thankfully. So they've... Uh, they've and, 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 and I'm very pleased. I'm actually getting some positive reviews rather than sad Arsenal fans digging oh, it out. Don't, well, don't, don't say that now. Don't, got, how much more... Haven't you got something better to do with yourself? You know, it's crazy. If you, if, if you were that confident about your club, you wouldn't have to do that, would you? Well, do you know what, Mike? That, that says everything. That shows what they've come to, that that's their fun. Because they get no oh. fun watching that shower of rubbish play anymore, do they? Well, I've got to ask you about it very quickly. I know time is against us, but it would be rude of me not to ask you, with this game coming next, we've got you on. Tell us, as the Spurs fan you are heading into this, what's your thoughts on this North London derby coming up? Well, you know, look, because I am 50 years or so of watching them, mm. I always expect they'll find a way. <laughs> but to be honest... It's normally a one-all draw, isn't it? I mean, more often than not, these games have been draws recently. Mm. Uh, whether we play better like we did two seasons ago or not quite so well as we did last year, but still eked out a one-all when Harry came back and scored that penalty. We're better than they are. 
No question. Far better. Only, I reckon, Sanchez will get close to our team of their team. But okay. we've got to go there. Maurizio's not won there. And it's still a big thing. And I think if Spurs were to go and win, it would be a massive statement of intent. Mm. And also send Arsenal into absolute meltdown, which would be the biggest <laughs> fun of all. Totally um, agree. But if, if I had to put 50 pence of your money on it, oh, one all again, because it tends to end up <laughs> It's quite the same, but Maurizio, uh, barring the League Cup, he's still unbeaten against Arsenal. Jason, we're coming back next week to talk about this game. Any thoughts now? We're, uh, we're in the middle of an international break, because so I think all of us... Uh, uh, hovering at the phones, looking to make sure that no other players falling, no other players are falling injured at the moment. Yeah, I think we got we got news tonight that Vertonghen's Vertonghen's pulled out for, mm. for Belgium, although hopefully nothing too serious. So fingers crossed, Ericsson doesn't get kicked by the Irish and <laughs> and uh, and everything everything's good to go. We might even see Eric Lamella's hip injury, you know, the band aids coming up by then. So. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I'm, we'll talk about it obviously next week once yeah. we know where we stand. But I, I think we will break that that away day hoodoo, and, and I think we will go there and win. Yeah, I definitely do. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Martin, I promise you, we're finishing up. I have to ask you one question. January is coming fast. Do you think, from a journalist's perspective, is there going to be any, any incomings, Martin? Do you think any outgoings? Um, I do think there's genuine interest in Barclay still. Okay. Uh, the Mitzia really thinks he can make him into a player, uh, and whatever Everton wanted for Barkley in August, they've got to knock ten million plus off that now mm. because he's only got will only have four or five months left in his contract. Um, whether he'd be a starter, I'm not so sure. In truth, but I'd like to, I think there could be a player there for for the long long haul. I still would like to see uh, another striker who could score goals. I think Laurenti's done okay, but he's not going to score six goals. I don't think. I mean, he's 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 not much more than a Janssen, is he? Although he's going <laughs> to, you know, he, he's a different sort of player. I would love. I, I wouldn't have minded them getting Josh King, you know, but he's not really scored too many goals. But if they didn't get uh, Barkley, someone like Redmond might be a possibility. Just. It's someone with real pace. I mean, mm. I know he missed the chances on Sunday, but Zahar, can you yeah. imagine well, what Zahar would do with a proper coach? Well, that's what I said to Jason. Uh, Jason said to me, got to mention Zahar about it, because, Jason, you're a big fan of Zahar, aren't you? Well, if, uh, my, my query all last week about Zahar was, for me, every minute that Zahar will play is currently minutes that Hume Song plays. And and that's that's the problem. Hume Song's our plan B. And therefore, if Zaha comes in, what happens to Hume Min Song? And I wouldn't want us to see Zaha come in if we then lost Song, because as good as, as Zaha was on Sunday, it's still Hume Min Song that got the winner. Mm. And, and there's the problem. I, I can't ever see both of them in the team together. And so for me, I'll always go Sonny over Zaha. But there's, there's no doubt the boy's got talent and, and he's got real pace and he'd be a threat to us. I just, I just can't quite see how Tottenham could go and spend... 30, 35 million on somebody that that will either make our plan B and into our plan C or will still only be plan C himself. That's 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 the worry for me with, with Zaha. Mm. I think the Barkley one though, Martin, it's it's music to our ears. I think Jace, you're a big fan as well, Barkley, aren't you? We I think we both agree yeah. that. Under Pochettino, I think he could definitely get a tune out this lad. Yeah, definitely for me, Barkley. I've I've always liked him. I know there's doubts in lots of people, but I think under Pochettino you'd you'd get the player. My only now, slight worry with Barkley is now Koeman's gone and with six, 
six months or with, you know, with four months left on his contract, the amount of money he'll be worth and the position Everton are in, whether they'd actually say, do you know what? Come on, Ross, give us the last four months. You can go for free in the summer. It's not worth taking 10 million quid for you in January. They don't necessarily need the 10 million quid in January. And I think they might even put pressure on him under a new manager to say, look, come on, get us up that table, improve this situation and, and you can be free to join in the summer. And that's my only... I think if Kuma was there, we'd have a much better chance of getting him in January. But I think our chances of getting him now might have just fallen backwards a bit. Mm. Do you think, Martin, very quickly, I promise you we're wrapping this up, do you think it's all dependent on who the next Everton manager is? Well, yeah, possibly. But I think that, you know, if he's going to go, they might want to cash in. I don't know. Look, he's got, he's got to prove he's fit first. Mm, that's true. That's yeah. kicked a ball all season. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't think you can have enough quality players. Um, if you look at City, the options they've got, they can play Sane or Sterling or, or, or either Silva or De Bruyne or Aguero or Gabriel Jesus. I mean, they're all pretty decent. Why couldn't you have two more on top of what we've got? Have, to have those options, have that, have that competition in the squad. I, you know, the more, the more, the merrier for me. Quality players make a quality, quality team. And I, I, and I say I really fancy Zaha. I don't think Zaha will go this season. If Palace get relegated, different story altogether. And although I don't think they deserved, they deserved at least a point on Saturday, Sunday. They were the better team actually. But they only got four points out of 11 games. If they go down, he will go. Where's he going to go? Where's he want to go? He wants to stay in London. I think we get him for 20 million in the summer. And then it's yeah, it, then you're laughing, aren't you? Because unless Lamella ever comes back properly fit, there's a hole in that squad that needs to be filled. Good point. That's a good point. Martin, I can't thank you enough for tonight. You've given us more than your time. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure having you. Jace, any words from you to Martin as we uh, wrap up? No, just just good to speak to you, Martin, and, and keep up that Spurs love, and, and make sure you have a have a whack at John Cross in the next in the next <laughs> press when you come and see him. And oh. your book will definitely be better than anything that Crossy writes. <laughs> oh no, no, Crossy does. I mean, look, Crossy's is in the book because he's, he's given an Arsenal fan's perspective of the lane. I think it was quite important. Mm. I like uh, John is a is a great reporter, top top class reporter. He does a fantastic job for 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 the mirror. He was my. No, number two there for many many years worked worked with him. He was better than me. He did all the proper stuff. I just filled in the filled in the big spaces in the middle. He did the hard the hard yards on the back page. Uh, he's never hidden his allegiance. Why should he? No, no, no. Have yeah. I. Part of it. He's a he's a great bloke, and uh, I, mean, I like Josh and him. But no, I wouldn't have would never go at him at all. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, what he's Even having to write. Well, I say, Martin, what he's having to write about now. I think we all feel sorry for him a little bit. God, he's gone through. He's gone through the mill there. And um, we have to say, oh, Ross... I'm not going to feel sorry for him at all. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> fair enough. I've got to say, before we go, we are running a special competition. Um, you've heard Martin tonight, towards the end of the show. Uh, he said which player he would like to pick from the past to bring back to the present squad. And the question we are asking you guys is, from the first ever game that Martin went to, or you know, from the squad that Martin discussed, which player would he like to bring back to feature in this first team? We want you to email us at lastwordonspurs@outlook.com. You get a chance to win a copy of Martin's book. So just to be clear of the question, we want you guys to tell us the name of the person Martin has mentioned from the previous eras who we'd like to see in this current Spurs side, all you've got to do is email us at our podcast email address of last word 
on Spurs at Outlook.com. Send us in your answer, and like I say, hopefully, fingers crossed, you may. Martin, I cannot thank you enough for this evening. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed having you. No, it's been brilliant fun. It's been great stuff, and I hope you've enjoyed it too. It's been good. And you can never have too much time speaking about Spurs, can oh, you? Come on. You're very, very kind, honestly. <laughs> Bearing in mind the job Martin does, he's taking so much time. We really appreciate it. Martin, thank you as always. Guys, we're going to be back next week for a massive bumper North London Derby preview. Hopefully, it won't be a scene from Holby. Let's hope the players are fit. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Oh, what a goal! It's Danny Rose on his Premier League debut with a memorable strike. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.